You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book, Song of Solomon. Here's Nate. Well, today we turn to Song of Solomon, chapter 4, and we're studying now and seeing the actual night of the wedding of Solomon and his young bride. As I mentioned in our study of chapter 3 of Song of Solomon, the wedding would be comprised of three different movements. There would be the calling forth of the bride, the wedding procession to the bride and groom's home together. There would be the wedding feast for the family and the village and the guests. And then there would be the wedding night, the consummation of the marriage. And in the Song of Solomon, the festival, the feast is perhaps hinted at, but is not given any real attention or detail. What you have is the wedding procession in chapter three. And now here in chapter four, on into chapter five, the actual night of the wedding. And in this text, metaphors are used quite often uh, in describing the events that unfold. And What that enables us to have are appropriate details, but with poetic speech. So it's graphic, but not inappropriate. So we're, of course, discovering now the bride has come to the groom, and he is now free to enjoy her body sexually. This is, in a sense, what we're going to read in these coming verses, is sex as God designed it. It's good, it's exciting, it's intoxicating, it's powerful, it has a unifying effect upon the couple. And probably the best word of caution as we enter into this text is to basically say that new and old marriages alike could be disappointed if they read this portion of the song incorrectly. In other words, if someone were to believe that this ought to be the reality every single time a couple comes together sexually, they probably would end up being a disappointed person. This is God's ideal, but you have to remember that all of the right ingredients are in place. There is chastity, there is romance, there is relationship, there is connection on every single level. So this is the ideal, meaning that there are helpful principles that are found here throughout for the sexual relationship between a man and a woman. It begins with the word of Solomon. He says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Now, a couple of things just to mention from that statement of Solomon. Number one is to note that the overwhelming focus of the groom is on the bride. In the words that will flow from his mouth that follows, he barely mentions himself. He begins here, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. His focus is entirely upon her. And when sex is enjoyed properly, then what you are doing is you're paying attention to your mate. You're paying attention to their needs and their pleasures, and you're there to serve them and, of course, enjoy the relationship with them. But your focus is not on the self. Your focus is on them. So much of our culture's version of sex is a self-gratifying experience, but it is most satisfying toward the self 
when your focus is not on the self, but your focus is on the person that you are with. Solomon also says there in verse one, not only is his focus entirely upon her, but he says, you are beautiful. And he says it twice. He needed to see her body, but she needed to hear his words. And it's going to be a while in the text before the full consummation takes place. And what Solomon, again, is going to do with his words is create an environment of affection. And it's good for a husband like Solomon here to create an environment of affection before advancing to the more passionate or stronger levels of intimacy. You know, oh husband, when you perhaps sit down and watch a boxing match or some kind of, you know, martial arts or something like that. Usually there's the main event and then there are the preliminary matches before the main event. Maybe that's a way for you to think about some of the events that are involved in the process of romance with your bride. Unfortunately, the way men are constructed, it's easy for a man to become aroused and then almost turn into a predator with his wife as the prey. And she, in her heart, isn't yet there. She's not yet excited, not yet stirred up, but he is. Solomon though understood this woman he began with the most important sex organ she had he began with her brain he talked to her he realized he was not making love exclusively to a body but to a soul to a heart to a person and so he spoke to that person and a man's wife will often feel about herself in the way that he speaks and leads her to feel about herself. And so Solomon created that environment. Now, what follows in verse 1 all the way really to verse 5 are compliments from Solomon about his bride's body. He says, your eyes are doves behind your veil. Now, on the wedding night, she would put a veil over her face. And Solomon is now granted access behind that recently donned veil. And really, almost like the imagery of going into the Holy of Holies, going behind the curtain, going behind the veil. Solomon sees it in that kind of way. I get to do something now that previously I could not do. He focuses first, what he sees are her eyes. There is an eye contact there with his bride. And this can be a very passionate, beautiful, intimate kind of thing. If you are making love to a body and a body alone, eye contact can be very difficult. But when you're able to look into each other's eyes, you understand we are two people who love each other. We're able to look at one another. He looks into her eyes. Next, he says, your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Her dark hair now is, you know, and this doesn't sound overly complimentary uh, to us, but it's very poetic. He's talking about her hair falling down her head, going down the slopes of Gilead. It's like her dark hair is cascading down her shoulders and her back, and it's just very moving to him. It's driving Solomon crazy. He's just seeing something in her that is beautiful. He says, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost 
its young. She had taken care of her mouth, and now he's beginning to notice the intricacies. He says, I see your eyes, I see your hair, I see your teeth. He says, your lips, verse 3, are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. You see, in a moment like this where the passions are stirring, this everyday part of her, just her mouth, it becomes this sensual thing. It becomes a beautiful thing. No one ever says, you've got to watch out the mouth. It's just a sensuous thing. But in this moment, for him, it is. He just sees the beauty of it. He'd seen it before, but it takes on a new light in the bedroom at that moment. He says, your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your shell. He just now looks upon her cheeks, her complexion. The pomegranate at that time was thought of as a bit of an aphrodisiac. And so he sees her, he's like, there's just something there. I'm just looking at your complexion and it's doing something to me. Your neck, he says, is like the tower of David built in rows of stone on it hang a thousand shields all of them shields of warriors there was something strong and graceful and stately about his bride at this moment in time and he is noticing her neck and then he says and on your neck hang a thousand shields all of them shields of warriors and then he goes on to verse 5 say Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. There's just this thing that happens here. It's very obvious. He looks at her eyes. He compliments her hair. He sees her teeth and her mouth, her lips, her cheeks, her complexion, her neck. He follows this necklace down her neck and he sees now her breasts and he compliments her. There is this drive inside of her. He says, they are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. I think, for one, it's important for us to understand that God designed the anatomy of a woman in a way that pleases a man. You know, so many want to embrace some kind of evolutionary idea concerning attraction. Get out of here with that. That is not of God. Why is it that Solomon is drawn to the anatomy of his bride? Well, because God has designed her and God has designed him in that kind of way. He built it inside of them. And so there is this pleasure that Solomon is discovering. He's seeing now for the first time his bride fully revealed and he is overcome with a desire to touch and bless and engage her entire body and so he says you know like two fawns twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies so just a beautiful thing as Solomon describes it someone has noted I think it's an interesting observation and a good one the way that he describes her breasts he says like two fawns twins of a gazelle you know with fawns with these little babies coming from a gazelle these animals of the field little deer you cannot approach them aggressively there's a quiet and slow and gentle approach and perhaps there's a lesson here in lovemaking for a husband in that there might become a moment in that time where your bride wants you to move quickly and firmly but many times she won't get to that point unless she's been slowly brought to that 
place. There's a tenderness in the way that Solomon is speaking about his bride, in the way that Solomon is touching his bride, in a way that Solomon is engaging with his bride. This is one reason why pornography is so dangerous. Pornography is always geared towards one gender. It's geared towards one part of the audience. It's very remedial. It's very fake. And it's designed usually to gratify a male viewer. And what it does to a man's mind is it warps his mind into thinking that that is normal when it is not normal nor desired at all. Your bride will not be excited about any of those approaches to sex or intimacy. It's not intimate at all. And so a slow and gentle and uh, affirming approach, that's what Solomon had with his bride. He says in verse 6, he says, Until the day breathes and shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. So here Solomon is very clear. He says this is going to be an all-night affair. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee. He talks about going all night long. I don't know if Solomon was really able to do what he said he was going to do, but I think he's saying to her, I am going to try. Now, one thing I wanted to point out here is that this kind of sexual release and freedom for a couple, so often what it takes and requires is a romantic getaway. And let me just speak for a moment about the help of a romantic getaway in marriage. It makes it a lot easier to pull all-nighters like the one that Solomon is talking about where you are able to eat and drink and then physically enjoy one another. And so Solomon says that this is going to be an all-night affair. Notice also in verse 6, he says, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense, describing her body, more than likely describing her breasts in a different kind of way. He says, I will go away. Solomon saw this experience as a departure from something. Yes, going to the mountain of myrrh, hill of frankincense, her body, but he says, I will go away to that place. And there are a lot of pressures in this life. And for a married couple, good sex can help you get your mind off of things. You can depart regular life and enter into a peaceful, joyful, blissful experience. What a gift from God. It's free. It's fun. It can grow better over time. And then notice as well there in verse 6, he spoke of her body as the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. He saw her body as a place to go exploring. He's saying, I'm going to traverse there. He is, I think, discovering her body. He's perhaps asking questions. He's learning about her body. There are things, of course, that he does not know. And it's important, I think, for a couple to learn about one another, to talk about intimacy, to ask questions, and to communicate with each other. And of course, in this line of thinking, it's very important that a spouse would not take it personally if their spouse tells them that they didn't like something that was happening in the bedroom or that it just wasn't a pleasurable kind of thing. It's important that we would not take that kind of communication in a personal kind of way. He says again of her in verse 7, he says, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. 
Now, this is powerful. This is powerful, the way that Solomon describes his bride. He has observed her. He has looked upon her. He has seen now her naked body. He is making love to her. And he says, you are altogether beautiful. There is no flaw in you. Now, some women might be tempted to read this from Solomon and feel a sense of insecurity because, well, my goodness, how in the world could they ever measure up to a woman like this? There's no flaw in this woman. But remember, earlier in the book, it seems that there was a little bit of initial thought from the woman and from the public that she wasn't all that attractive. She didn't have the cultural and objective standards of beauty of the day. But Solomon saw something else. He saw her and he saw something to him that was perfect and beautiful. In other words, for him, his bride had become his standard of beauty. This is a very important thing. I believe that every husband who genuinely loves his bride can say, to me, you are beautiful and there is no flaw in you. It's important to remember that your standard of beauty is always your spouse. No matter where they are, no matter what season of life that they are in, your standard of beauty is always them. You see them as the emblem of physical beauty and perfection. He says, there is no flaw in you. This is, of course, another one of the devastating effects of pornography is that an image gets into the mind that is not right or real or yours. God has given someone to you if you are married. They are to be your standard of beauty and no one else. He says to her in verse 8, he says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon, her home. Depart from the peak of Amana and the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. So he is asking her here to depart with him, to come with him. He's asking her to leave her home in the north. He calls her. He's saying, come, be mine, be mine. And the emphasis is shifting here. Uh, from your to my. He says, I want you to become mine. I want you to leave your home and give yourself to me, even sexually. He says of her in verse 9, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. Now, this is a powerful sentence from Solomon. He is announcing, with one look, I am decimated. With one glance, with one glimmer of your necklace as it accentuates your body, I am destroyed. I've just been captivated by your presence. Now, I don't think that there's anyone on earth who would say that that isn't a brand of love and romance that they would not desire. Oh, we would love for this to happen. This level of captivation, one glance of your eyes, one jewel of your necklace. But what's important to understand is that Solomon and his bride had cultivated an atmosphere that had led them to this particular moment in time. The blood is racing, the excitement is building, but they have so much relational connection, so much history over time, so much conversation, so much appreciation 
this radical romance had been built. Listen, you meet someone at a bar, you shack up with them for the night. What have you built? You've built nothing. You've built nothing. But this brand of romance, this brand of sexual enjoyment, it is so powerful. You can only say this after building something glorious over time. So this is possible. This is beautiful. Now, notice in verse 9 and then following on into verse 10, Solomon refers to his bride as his sister. Now, this is common Near Eastern love poetry, and it speaks of affection and friendship. In other words, you can't have this brand of powerful sex with just anyone, just some body, some person that you meet. No, this level, this brand, it comes with someone that you have built a relationship with slowly but surely over time. He says to her in verse 10, How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. He's just announcing to her, listen, this is incredible. Now, when he says how beautiful is your love, he's not just talking about her feelings or her position. He's talking about her physical expressions of romantic love. He was refreshed and intoxicated by her and more refreshed and intoxicated by her physical advances than any wine or any spice could ever bring in his life. He is just rocked at this point. He says, verse 11, your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. What's happening here in the text is that Solomon has done the initiating. Solomon has created the environment, but now his bride has become passionate. She's been brought to a place where she really begins, it seems, to take over. He's tasting the honey and the milk. He's like, I'm going to the promised land. Your advances, your love, your romantic overtures towards me, they are blessing my life. And so the kisses, very sensuous in nature, are amazing to Solomon. He is just out of his mind at this point. Now in verse 12, he extols her for something beautiful, something that ought to be repeated within this culture. He says, a garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. So Solomon praises his bride here as a garden and not any old garden, but a garden with great and exotic variety. In Ecclesiastes, we learn that Solomon was quite the botanist. So he's able to be very descriptive and imaginative here concerning her body as a garden. And he sees it as a dream garden. So many of these items would never grow together. But Solomon is announcing it's all here in you. He rejoices over her body. But he rejoices that her body was protected. He says in verse 12, a garden locked. What is he saying there? He's praising her virginity. She had protected her garden for him alone. This is such a gift to be able to give 
to your spouse, to be able to give the gift of virginity, to give your spouse the gift of exclusive and covenantal and protected sex, to say, you know, I'm not going anywhere. This belongs to no one else. You can have me, you and you alone. Obviously, the best is to be able to give to your spouse actual virginity. But sometimes a person falls into sin before they come to know the Lord. And you have to have redemption. You have to receive forgiveness from Jesus. That's possible in him. Amen. But so what you can offer is a redeemed virginity unto your spouse. But Solomon, he's overwhelmed by that. He realizes that she has taken this very seriously and has guarded herself for his enjoyment. Now notice at the end of verse 15, Solomon says of her, she's a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. He's saying, listen, in your garden and and just who you are, there's this flow, a fountain, living water, flowing streams. What does that mean? In literal communities and in the world, water, flowing water, a spring of water, it indicates this is where life can happen. It's very life-giving. A community can be built around a source of water. And I think in one sense, what we learn here is that this kind of sexual relationship is life-giving in nature. It's helpful to the marriage. It's helpful to the intimacy. It's helpful to the couple. They're growing in their relationship with one another. There is life that is coming. Proverbs 5, Solomon speaking to his son, he said, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. What Solomon is announcing there is that there is pleasure that can be derived from your spouse. And It's a life-giving pleasure to enjoy one another. Do not deprive one another, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, except for with mutual consent for a time to seek the Lord, but not too long, lest temptation would overcome you. Give your bodies to one another. Now in verse 16, she finally speaks. She says, Awake, O north wind, and come. O south wind, blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. She speaks and she basically tells Solomon to hit the accelerator, to kick it into high gear. And this is just what you think it is. I don't think I need to make any comment on what she's saying. She's telling him that she is ready. And just the mutual enjoyment between the husband and the spouse, what a beautiful thing. He says, I came to my garden, verse one of chapter five, my sister, my bride, I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Now, some think that this last little statement, of course, the beginning of verse 1, is Solomon announcing, oh, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that immensely. But some think that the final statement, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love, is actually the voice of God himself. That God is inviting couples into this level of intimacy. This isn't always a person's perspective. Sometimes people approach sex as if it's something dirty or forbidden because of some past experience that has brought them to think of it in that way. Some women have thought it unholy to even desire sex. 
Sometimes help is needed in the form of a program or counsel or even just prayer with other believers. And in that case, patience is required on the part of the other spouse. But at the end of the day, the Lord says, enjoy each other, experience one another. What a beautiful protection. What a beautiful life-giving blessing for the couple that is in Christ and loves one another. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.